Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, where we shine the spotlight on the many but often ignored positive happenings, activities, projects, and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate, and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation. Hello friends and listeners, welcome to Impacting Jamaica. My name is Shelley Ann Harris. Today I have the pleasure of connecting with Dr. Roger Hunter, an internationally accomplished consultant neurosurgeon and consultant spinal surgeon who has treated hundreds of COVID patients and amazingly has not lost one. Dr. Hunter, welcome to Impacting Jamaica. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Shelley, and welcome to all your listeners here and abroad. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, I understand that you've treated well over 200 COVID patients and none of them has passed away from the virus. Please share with our listeners what you are doing that is working so well in this challenging time. Well, it's, it's over 300 now. Um, wow. Because okay. what, what we have recognized, there is a hunger, a appetite, a need, a desire for people to know what to do early to prevent them from spiraling downwards. They have not been told what they can do early at home to stop them from deteriorating and needing hospitalization, oxygen, and death. So what we have been doing is enabling and empowering people to, to what to do to get, get over COVID early rather than wait, watch, and do nothing. We are saying stay home and treat, not to stay home, watch, and when you get sick, you then go to the hospitals. The hospitals mm -hmm that model cannot work. So what we have been doing is, first of all, it started with my journey. My journey began with a patient of mine, a very near dear patient of mine, who was really a very healthy guy from Maypen. And he actually was somebody who always kept in touch with me, but he knows according to my busy schedule, he always tried to protect me and not call me necessarily for things that are outside of neurosurgery. But then he got really ill. A week later after his illness called me and when i heard him he was speaking totally uh, he was totally confused fairly mm. struggling he was gurgling and he could hardly make anything that sensible in his speech and the end result of that was that we could only say go to the hospital and when he went to the hospital his oxygen levels were like 59 percent his x-ray was completely white out and in 12 hours he died. So that was really very troubling and wow. very, very worrying for me because that was an atmosphere where the government had said, well, if you are sick, then you go to the hospital. But a lot of patients will not go to the hospital until they are very, very sick. They tend to shy away from the hospital. Right. What we've found is that they need help early. Now, my journey further began. After that, I made a commitment that I will be available for every patient, for any colleague who called me. So I, shortly after that, I got a call from a colleague of mine who said, well, they had COVID and that her mom, their mom, a 104-year-old nurse, retired nurse from New York, but trained at KPH, and she had COVID. She had contracted it in hospital and brought it home. So I said, well, let's, let's kick into gear. So I went to her home and both of them had COVID. I treated both of them with different medication and both of them pulled through. I treated them early. I myself then contracted COVID treating them early. I treated myself early and I'm here today. 
in fact, we have somebody in my office here today, Claudette, mm -hmm. and Claudette was also one of the early uh, patients that we treated. Mm -hmm. Claudette has every conceivable underlying illness you can imagine. She had a heart attack with a stent. She has cholesterol, diabetes, hypertension. She has five stents, she tells me. And we treated Claudette early at home, keeping close monitoring of her, and she's here today she has survived she's one of the many many countless patients that we have treated both directly and indirectly because it reached it's now at a point where my colleagues will be calling me and asking me to guide them with the treatment with the management of the patient and of course we are always willing to help because we believe that jamaicans and residents and everyone can be saved if we provide this vital recipe, this early treatment recipe, and, and, and this has worked for us, and we commend it for every citizen of the world, of the entire world, because what we have not seen is the early intervention at home, anywhere at all in the world. We're not seeing it. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but we're just not seeing it. We're having patients reaching out from London. They've been told to wait and watch. They have not been told what's a pulse oximeter. They don't know what's that. People from the States, they don't know what's a pulse oximeter, people from Canada. So we know that there is definitely a deficit in the messaging. Yes, we're hearing a lot about ivermectin and we recommend ivermectin, but we know that ivermectin is not a magic bullet. We hear a lot about vaccinations, a whole lot, but we also recognize that vaccinations are not enough. Something else is needed. And we found that with this early home-based treatment, we are getting remarkable results, not just in people who are mild, but people with severe underlying illness with multiple, multiple, multiple underlying illnesses. People who are over 300 pounds, people who are 104 years old, people with several underlying illnesses and with saturations going down as low as 70%. And with early intervention, we have managed to turn them around to God be the glory. So we are very positive about this approach and recommend it to each and every citizen of the world. First of all, I want to thank you for that dose of hope that you just shared, because it's, it's very empowering to know that there are actions that you can take at home to preserve your life and to preserve your health. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I also want to especially welcome Claudette, is it, who is with you? Claudette, how are you feeling? I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling fine. When were you diagnosed with COVID? Um, this was in March. And mm -hmm. uh, I decided I did not want to go into a hospital because personally, I feel that you, you pick up stuff in the hospital. So I didn't want to go into the hospital. I prefer to just stay at home and die because that's how I felt, like I was dying, my blood oxygen left. So um, my husband heard me making some sounds one night because apparently they, I had pneumonia as well. Mm -hmm. And so he called Dr. Hunter. And one of the things um, I was asked to do was to put the blood oximeter monitor on to see for him to monitor, for Dr. Hunter to monitor where my blood oxygen level was. And it was low. And um, I can't remember, I think it was 80 something. That's right. And That's right. He's, he's told my husband to just get me up. He said, breathe, whatever you do, try to breathe. It was very difficult and painful to breathe at the time. Very, very hard to breathe. And I didn't want to because it was painful. Mm -hmm. so 
were going to take me outside in the parking lot in the early hours of the morning because it was it was when he was called it was like about 12 31 everybody had gone to bed there was nobody outside and he said take her outside with the oximeter monitor on her finger monitor it keep telling me how much it is but whatever you do she has to breathe so I did all of that, came back inside, he put me on medication, he called in, uh, you know, some medication for me, including vitamins, antibiotics, blood thinners, um, blood thinners uh, quite a number of them. That the pharmacy, she was saying, don't take all of them. She knew it was a COVID patient when my husband went to collect the medication. So she even wrote a list and said, just take these. And I, I didn't say anything to my husband. I just went home, lined up all the medication, plus my other medication for my other comorbidities, and I started taking them. So by the time my husband got back, I was saying, the pharmacy said, don't take all of them. I'd already started taking what Dr. Hunter gave me. And he also said, said sit in the sun every day for a while once or twice a day so I did all that I followed everything that he said to the team and I started feeling better until I was weak I was weak I felt strong enough I went and did the um the the the, the, okay. the test came back negative at that time at that time and that's just such a beautiful yes. testimonial of you yeah. know medicine and sunshine coming together to make you well. I would go out as weak as I was. I'd go out and sit in the sun every day, twice mm. a day. How long did you sit for? Um, I sit like for 40 minutes at a time. 40 minutes, okay. Sometimes I'd spend more and then I'd go back out in the evening before the sun go down. So what time are we talking about? You're not talking about midday sun? Midday sun, not midday sun, just morning hot. sun, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I go back again in the afternoon, so twice a day. You know, because I was told by him that the vitamin, the, the natural vitamin D that you get from the sun. So he had prescribed vitamins as well, like caltrate and um, I think D3 and so on. And I took all of them and I am fine and understand that. I've had a heart attack. I have five stents in. I'm diabetic. I'm hypertensive. I have high cholesterol. And I could go on with my comorbidities. But God is good. I'm here. And actually, I came to thank him. I'm just brought him something. (laughs) Say, I am here because I didn't I know. know about this. This was not I planned. Just brought him something. This, this was not planned. In <laughs> fact, that God is good. Yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. Claudette, what's your last name, if you don't mind? Claudette Hutchinson. Hutchinson, thank you so much for sharing um, your experience. It's it's really a beacon of hope for all of the listeners in Jamaica and across the world who will hear this podcast or who are listening right now. Um, I just want to also enumerate, ask you, doctor, to list for us the, the, the basic items you need to keep if you're going to be considering an, um, home care as a COVID patient. Yes. So uh, the starting point is, well, first of all, just to say to someone, I'm not well, I don't feel well. I think I may have COVID. Let us destigmatize it. We must first announce it to the world without any hesitation. Last year, when someone even sneezed in a taxi, they were taken out and beaten. That is total craziness. We need everybody to say do not do not be shy. This is one time where you have to disclose, just like how President 
Trump disclosed his medical information to the world. This is not the time to stigmatize the condition. So by coming out with the condition, you now are able to tap into the wealth of experience around you, experience from doctors, from COVID champions, COVID competent people who know what to do. Like Claudette, who has come here to deliver God's message, we did not expect her to be here. Mm -hmm. And this is an amazing, uh, wonderful uh, joining of, of experience here. So in terms of specifically, everybody must have a pulse oximeter, a finger saturation, a finger oxygen saturation reader. Everyone must have that. And then you need to know what it reads. The oxygen levels should be between 95 and 100%. It's called SpO2. That, that's usually in a good level. Now, if you're below 95 and you go as low as 85, then that would require more intense uh, intervention. And certainly if you go into the 70s, usually we'd say, if you don't have a medical person near you, you should go to the hospital. However, if you do have somebody medically enabled with COVID uh, experience, then you can actually bring in oxygen at home if necessary. But I always recommend to every single patient to steam, to steam. Steaming really helps to clear a lot of things inside your airways that you don't know was there. So if you consider this, if a pipe is blocked, like your airway, it's partially blocked with phlegm, and then you steam and it unblocks it, your oxygen levels naturally rise. But if you use oxygen, blowing oxygen down that partially blocked airway, the oxygen will only blow it further down into your lungs and will not cause that phlegm, that, that, that mucus to come up. So that is the problem. We need to get people to thin, to break up the mucus so that you can bring it up so that your airways can remain open. And we believe that we need to do a less oxygen focused approach and more focused on clearing your airway and steaming is just about the most effective thing that I have seen in these hundreds of patients to bring up this awful plug that's blocking their airway. And we have tons of pictures to show of what people are actually coughing up. But you know what? I was also a patient. I was also one of them. And I coughed up a lot of yellow stuff too. But the minute I coughed up, my oxygen level moved from in the 70s all the way up to 97%. I didn't need oxygen. I didn't feel short of breath. I didn't feel distressed. I just felt a little tired. And so I moved very slowly to conserve my energy and my oxygen level. So it's very, very important that people steam. Everybody should steam, whether you're mild, you're moderate or severe. And we commend it to the government hospitals and private hospitals that they find a mechanism to get their patients to steam. So, we start with the point where you need your pulse oximeter to monitor your oxygen. We need to bring in steaming. But what we also need to recognize that there's, there, there are other things such as oral hygiene, very, very important. Mm -hmm. Strict regimented oral hygiene. We need to floss, then brush our teeth and our tongue, more like scrubbing, scrubbing all the excess food particles which attract bacteria and hide viruses. Scrub, scrub it clean. Then that takes about two minutes. Then we're going to Listerine brush. We're going to gargle for about two minutes with Listerine. Studies show that after 30 to 40 seconds, 
mouthwash kills the coronavirus. Not just alcohol sanitizer does it, but also mouthwash. And a lot of the virus concentrates inside your mouth. And that's where the virus gets into your bloodstream, as a matter of fact, through your mouth. So if you can reduce the content, the viral load, as it's called, then you are actually giving yourself a great opportunity to overcome this virus by improving the chances for your own natural immunity, your own immune cells, not just B cells, which produce antibodies, but also T cells, which are the killer cells and memory T cells, which are very important cells to get rid of viruses. We also recognize that not only does the virus harm you, but once the virus causes an inflammation, any other germ that's around, and we know the human mouth has a lot of germs, any other germ that's around will, will actually follow the virus into your blood. And we're talking about bacteria. Bacteria are 10 times more lethal and toxic because they release some toxins that are very, very dangerous. And these toxins will cause damage to the blood vessels and induce blood clots in your heart, in your, in your brain. So the Listerine and the mouthwash is very important at reducing the amount of bacteria or germs inside your mouth. So it's very important, very, very important, very, very important that we reduce that content in your mouth, reduce not just a viral load, but also reduce the bacterial load. So we're attacking it on that front with a steam that brings it up and with the oral cleansing that gets rid of and reduces the viral load and reduces the bacteria that's, that's around you. Simple measures like this is simple, but they need to be practiced very, very steadfastly, very diligently and regimented so that we do not allow the virus or the bacteria or both to develop in great numbers that will overwhelm our immune system. That was Dr. Roger Hunter and one of his patients, Claudette Hutchinson, speaking to me from his office in Jamaica, where he's in the midst of treating scores of patients. We hope to connect with Dr. Hunter again soon to learn more about how he's helping people to beat COVID-19. I'm Shelly Ann Harris. See you next time for another Impacting Jamaica. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite motivate and encourage, send us an email at impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on Google Podcast, Audible, Spotify, Podcast Addict and Stitcher. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com.